Thanks for listening to A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins in partnership with Briefcase News, the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media monitor. It's a fiscal perk that's helped create a good many private equity billionaires. Instead of paying income tax on bonuses like ordinary corporate bosses, Buyout Group's executives pay a lower capital gains tax rate on the sometimes massive gains they pocket. A quick worked example to illustrate the benefit. On a million-pound bonus, an ordinarily taxed executive would pay £450,000 over to HMRC, assuming it's all in the higher band. But if that bonus came from carried interest on a private equity transaction, the tax falls to 280000 and avoids national insurance and other payroll tax. For years, people have been grumbling, claiming the tax treatment has no logic and just made rich people richer. Some private equity bosses had the decency to be embarrassed about paying less in tax than their cleaners. But now it seems that finally there may be a move to look again at carried interest. After a challenge by a tax lobbying group, HMRC has, quote, scrapped a loophole that appeared to confirm the treatment for UK private equity funds. So we thought it would be a good time to look at carried interest, how it came about and whether it should now and will be consigned to the dustbin. And we're joined by an old friend of the show, Dan Needle of Tax Policy Associates. Welcome, Dan. Hi there. You've written things recently about the whole question of how carried interest should be taxed in the case of private equity firms. Can you explain to us a bit about what's just happened with HMRC and how you understand it? So if you're a banker and things go well, you get a bonus. If you're a hedge fund manager and things go well, you you share in some of the return of the fund and you're given a bonus. But private equity is different. When a private equity fund is established, the investors might be wealthy individuals, might be pension funds, might be universities, that they acquire interests, investments in the private equity fund. The managers of the fund also acquire an interest, but it's a very special interest because in practice, they pay pretty much nothing for it. But if the fund performs well, they then get 20% of the return of the fund. And that is called their carried interest. And given that the funds can make very, very large amounts of profit, that 20% becomes very valuable. So that's carried interest, sometimes called carry. So when this industry was really created in the UK in the 1980s, they had to figure out how to tax it. Is that right? Well, first of all, they wanted to figure out how to structure it. What kind of legal vehicle should they use? And one of the main considerations around that was tax. What they wanted to do was get capital gains tax treatment for their carried interest. Just to rewind for a second, if I receive dividends on shares, I'm taxed on those dividends currently, the marginal rate of about 39.35%. If instead of getting dividends, I buy shares, wait for a bit, sell shares, then I pay tax at the capital gains tax rate, which for me would be 20%. Now, that difference between income and capital is fundamental to the tax system. And one of the most unfortunate features of the UK tax system is the gulf between the rates on income and capital. And so central to all this is this 1987 deal where HMRC appears to say to the industry, you can have what you want. We'll tax all these profits as capital gains. How does that come about? There was a pivotal meeting between a lawyer representing the private equity industry and a senior treasury minister. That minister was Norman Lamont, who later became chancellor. The message that was delivered to Norman Lamont was 
you need to find a way to let us use these structures and get the tax result we want. Otherwise, we'll go offshore. This is a standard technique, isn't it, for putting the bite on the government that uh, yes. if you don't let us have this extremely valuable concession, we'll take our toys somewhere else. Sometimes it is a real thing that the concept that if the UK wants to attract more private equity people, you need a better tax rate for private equity could be applied in the same way to any area where we want people of a particular kind. I mean, the country is short of teachers, plumbers, rocket scientists. No one suggested, I think, that we tax rocket scientists at a, at a more at a more favourable rate. No, it's an interesting idea. <laughs> and, and be clear, I'm certain we would have more rocket scientists in the UK if we gave more favourable tax rate. Lo- logically, at the margins, that must be true, yeah. mustn't it? But we don't do that. Maybe we can come into what makes carried interest either a capital gain or not a capital gain, just so that the listeners can understand. So if you hold something as an investment and I'm putting big scare quotes around investment because it's a technical tax term, then when you sell it, it will be a capital gain. If you hold something and it's a trading asset, you're carrying on a trade, then it won't be a capital gain. So example, let's say I buy a house and I then sell it a few years later at a profit. That's a capital gain. Let's say I buy an empty site and I build a house. And then as as soon as it's built, I sell it. That is not a capital gain because I'm trading. I'm, I have a more active activity and I'll be taxed on that as income. So that's a fundamental distinction in the tax system. Here, the confirmation which the Treasury and HMRC gave, or at least appeared to give the private equity industry in 1987, was if you set up your private equity funds in a particular way, and if it's your intention to be investing, then we will accept that and you'll get capital gains treatment. Interesting that you say the, the way it's set up, but I would say all these enterprises are set up in a way essentially to make as big a leveraged capital gain as is humanly possible. And uh, there are plenty of examples of this where the businesses have uh, been sort of pumped up to a glamorous valuation and then sold. If the tax rules encourage you to do this, which is what you're saying they do, you can hardly blame the private equity people for leveraging their investment, uh, which is effectively what they do, and maximising their return. I think if I understand you correctly, if you're going to benefit from capital gains tax, you have to be exposed to the risk of a loss on that investment. Not, of, not By the really. very nature of investing. No. Really? Okay. If the investment is small enough, it, it's going to be irrelevant. Let's say I set up Dan Needle PLC tomorrow and I give you a share yeah. in that and it's worthless because I haven't done anything. And then I discover a gold mine underneath my house. Your share suddenly becomes worth a billion. You never took any risk. You never paid anything for the share. It was worthless when you got it. But I'm certain in my mind you made a capital gain. The distinction is about what is it that you're doing? What is the trade? Yeah. All of this, the trade investment stuff is background, lost in the mists of of the 1980s. And the industry has been proceeding on the basis that 1987 statement means that private equity funds are not trading and carried interest is taxed as carry. There's been plenty of debate about whether that's right or not and whether the law should change. But people accepted 
that carried interest was correctly taxed as capital gain. Yep. Earlier this year, I'd been looking at some other unrelated points, and it suddenly struck me that that was a very questionable assumption. Yep. Now, as a tax lawyer, and I practiced as a tax lawyer for about 25 years, I often looked at these questions of trading versus investment. Because if you're advising someone doing, frankly, anything in the UK, one of the first questions you ask is, is it a trade or is it an investment? And it's often a very fine distinction and a very difficult question. And it's quite rare that you're able to come up with definitive answers. Normally, what you do is you say, well, it's probably this, or it's probably that. Um, here's the answer if it is. And here's the answer the other way around, because you need to consider both. That's generally what one does. And here's my bill. <laughs> in the, the private equity world is unique in that everyone is really comfortable that it's not trading yeah. and they get a capital gain. And that's very strange. There have never been any cases since 1987 where HMRC have tested this question of whether a carried interest is an income or a capital gain. We believe not. Now, where people who are okay. private equity have tried to pull the same trick, HMRC has been extremely unamused. So, for example, there are some hedge funds who, I would say, are very clearly mm -hmm. trading, who, who tried to structure themselves in a way to, to get this benefit, and they were slapped down by HMRC, and in fact, the law was changed to make it impossible for them. So, early this year, I discussed it with, with various people, contacts I had in the industry, I discussed it with the people who edit the British Tax Review, which is the academic journal of taxation. And I wrote a lengthy paper, which ended up being peer-reviewed and published in the British Tax Review. And what I said is, forget this debate whether carried interest is right or wrong. As a matter of tax law, there are good grounds to believe the way it's being taxed currently is wrong. Not morally wrong, ethically wrong, I mean technically wrong. And that many of the buyout funds are so active in how they behave they are traded, and that means their executives should be taxed not at the capital gain, but at the full income tax rate. Well, sorry, when you say that their activity makes it look as though they're trading, my understanding is usually the, these things are structured in such a way that the executives take up the position in the company, and then when it's sold, that's when they get their major reward. But how come it's trading if they're doing more than one at a time? How does that work? So I looked at the activity of the fund itself. So winding back to our clear investment case, that would be where you buy shares, hold shares for a bit, sell shares, that's investment. What they do is behave really rather like a bank. They engage in normally a very complicated M&A process in order to acquire the company. They then engage in an equally complicated financial re-engineering of the company. They improve it. They try and make it a more profitable business. And then after a relatively short period, typically three to five years, they then engage in another normally very complicated M&A process to sell the company, hopefully for them, at a profit. And they do this again and again. And all of that mm. is very different from an investment activity. So what makes it different is the fact that they involve themselves in improving the company? Again, let's compare it with, with another type of fund. Compare it with, say, a unit trust, which buys shares. Yeah. It's a simple purchase. It buys them in the market. It holds them. It does nothing to them. And then it sells them. By contrast, a private equity fund is buying and selling through a very complicated and involved process. And it's not merely holding the assets passively. It's trying to improve them. And those are very significant things. Right. One of the things which often gets referred to, and maybe this is just a sort of policy side as opposed to the legal side, but people say the big problem is that they don't have very much, if any, capital at risk in these funds. So their gain, if you like, is based on your free house with a gold mine underneath it. Mm. But is there any way in which if the funds put more of their own money into these transactions, let's say a world in which 
private equity partners decided simply to put in all the capital themselves and take the full risk and still did all this improvement that you talk about and the structured transactions, would that change the position? Would the fact that they had put their own money on the line turn it into an investment, even if it was an involved investment, as opposed to what they do today? Strictly, that question as to whether they put anything on the line is not relevant to whether it's an investment. Okay. I think it's relevant to another point, which is whether, in fact, what they receive is remuneration for doing their job. But there is absolutely an argument that if you get something essentially for free and it's only available to people doing your job and you get it because of your job, then that's remuneration. You should be taxed as such. And at least that argument would potentially be knocked down if they really put all their money behind these deals rather than simply getting a freebie. I'm not sure even then it would, because if they're buying something which is only available to managers, then I think it's still different. Yeah. The fact that they don't really put any money in makes the point more obvious. And I'm, I keep slightly hedging that and saying don't really put any money in, because sometimes they pay almost nothing. Sometimes they do pay for it, but it's through a non-recourse loan. That means they don't really put money in. Only in rare cases are they really putting money in for this. This is clearly, it's not just Britain that's taken this treatment. In America, carried interest has been taxed in the same way and has similarly been very advantageous for funds. So when Barack Obama, the US president, talked about changing the tax treatment a decade ago, people like Stephen Schwartzman, a very big figure in the private equity world, threatened a war to protect his privileges. The war. Yeah. Uh, we will fight them on the private equity beaches. <laughs> but yes, exactly. What could now change as a result of this? And how sig- significant a change would it be? So there was, as you mentioned, this JR challenge by the Good Law Project. JR is judicial review. Yes, by judicial the way, review. And so the essence of that was to say that we're all supposed to be taxed under legislation and in following the 1987 agreement, HMRC is departing from the letter of the law in a way it's not entitled to. That was broadly the objective. People often confuse two similar things, venture capital and private equity or what's sometimes called buyout funds. So venture capital is I start up a AI company, I look for outside equity investment, I get that from a venture capital fund, they put a couple of directors on my board. Key to this are there isn't financial engineering going on, it's a startup and it's new money. When we talk about private equity, certainly in the UK, we normally don't mean that at all, we mean a buyout fund. What a buyout fund does is it looks for a company which already has a mature business, it buys it from its existing owners, and it then tries to make it more profitable, often by financial engineering, aka loading it with debt, and then selling it. Something like 70% of the UK market consists of buyout funds, maybe 10% is venture capital, the rest are various other types of funds. But when you're talking about serious amounts of private interest, there are estimates that 90% of that is going to buyout funds. Now, the original 1987 agreement was expressed to be about venture capital. And you can see why, because venture capital seems a much more fluffy, uncontroversial thing that maybe government should be encouraging. Well, yes, it's also much more likely to actually create wealth rather than just shoveling it round. That would certainly be the argument. In the years since, the industry applied that to buyout funds. And if you look at the way that the 1987 agreement is described, even on the British Venture Capital Association's own website, it's clear they think it applies to venture capital and buyout funds. And certainly, that's where the big carried interest amounts are. And they rely upon that capital gains treatment to pay tax at a low rate. In HMRC's reply 
to the Good Law Project, they said no, the 1987 agreement only applies to venture capital. So HMRC has has actually now stated this is designed for conventional venture capital funds and the buyout funds don't comply with that definition. Is that right? Well, they don't put it that way. They say that it only applies to venture capital funds, not buyout funds. And that is not what people thought a month ago. So the position which the buyout funds seemed to be clear before is now no longer clear. So, Dan, obviously at the moment, the government is uh, always keen, I should think, to find a few coppers down the back of the sofa somewhere, if it can. What would it be worth to the Treasury if these firms were taxed based on the current level of activity, if they were taxed on the income tax basis, i.e. their gains were taxed as income as opposed to capital gains? I mean, the static analysis, if you like, is super easy because we we can look at how much carried interest is just declared to HMRC and apply the higher rate to it. And that's somewhere mm. above 600 million. It's above it because that 600 million figure doesn't include data on non-DOMs and quite a few private equity managers, particularly the senior ones, are non-DOMs. So at least 600 million, plausibly over a billion. But that's a static analysis because... That threat to leave the UK is not a bluff. Many of them, I'm sure, would leave the UK. There's a separate question as to whether that matters, both as a matter of principle and whether that matters economically, but you don't need a tax lawyer to talk about either of those. (laughs) Very good. I'm surprised Neil hasn't leapt in with a shout-out for his hero, Nigel Lawson. But, of course, in 1988, a year after the famous 1987 concordat between HMRC and the private equity industry, Nigel Lawson did equalise income and capital gains tax rates, which of course is one way of making this discussion moot, is it not? It wasn't then. And the reason it wasn't then (laughs) is that capital gains let you play tricks, which income taxation doesn't. And there was one particular trick which private equity played from 1988 all the way to 2015, which let them get an effective rate of tax in the single digits. So that equalization wow. did not really apply. Now, that particular, that particular trick no longer works. It was called the base cost shift. Okay, well, we won't ask you to elaborate too much on that. So, that's, that's, that's fascinating that, stuff. That, that, that particular <laughs> bit of entertainment is now no longer playing. Um, but from what you were saying earlier, it seems to me that actually HMRC... Uh, are not really going to do anything as a result of the case which has just taken place. Your point that the industry is not screaming blue murder suggests that actually HMRC say, we've got quite enough to worry about, we're not going to come after you. Is that not correct? HMRC shouldn't be saying that to people. That's, that's not the role of HMRC. And that's a different matter. <laughs> but the, the silence of the lambs is um, says it for you, doesn't it? I mean, if HMRC were going to use this and say, right, we're going to come after you lot because it's you're constructed on a, a misunderstanding of the law as it now seems to stand, they would be screaming blue murder, wouldn't they? I, I think that's probably fair. That, however, is an unstable <laughs> position for the industry to rest because it is a very political position. And for almost 40 years, various governments have had their thumb on the scales and have made it clear that HMRC is not supposed to be digging into this area. And if you look at, again, the 
the correspondence which the Good Law Project obtained from HMRC, that's clearly been happening. If we had either a change of mind of the current government or an, a new government, which takes its thumb off the scales and private equity starts being treated the same way as everyone else, then the picture would be different. And then I think it would absolutely be rational for the industry to be demanding that that can swiftly shut when we get legislation. This is a, a proposal for Keir Starmer to put in the next Labour manifesto. Do you think he will? I'm not going to talk about the politics. <laughs> I try to be as non-partisan as I can. But there's another very important position of investors. So if you're a pension fund, you are not allowed to make trading investments. So if you hold a position in a private equity fund that it turns out to be Ooh. trading, that is a disaster for you. Same for unit trusts, same for investment trusts, same for complicated reasons for foreign investors. So it is very, very dangerous for investors in these funds to have uncertainty as to how the fund is treated. And even if the private equity guys are happy to go on the nod and the wink they may think they've got from HMRC, the investors really shouldn't be happy with that. That also is a reason for the government, the current one or the next one, to, uh, to put this into the too difficult box and continue to make noises about tax raising from the rich, meantime doing nothing about it. Well, there we are. It's a bit of a council of despair. <laughs> I, I, I think the, the much better approach is to have legislation which says investors in a private equity fund, you're, you, you don't need to worry about the precise way the fund works. You're always going to be taxed in the way you expect. And carried in case, well, that's always going to be taxed as this, where this is perhaps income, perhaps capital, government make a political choice, and then we won't have the mess, the uncertainty, and so something very undesirable about one industry being taxed differently from everyone else, and that should stop. Well, of course it should, but it's not the only tax in that in that category. That's the trouble. The complexity of taxation extends everywhere. This is just one corner of it. I, I do think this is a very unusual case. <laughs> He's a tax lawyer, Neil. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but no, no, I'm not. <laughs> you mean everything else in the garden is lovely by comparison? Oh, there's a whole bunch of problems. But this, this particular problem, the issue of, of an industry being taxed based on a special deal, this is unique. I think the point I draw from this is basically what you, the good law project or whatever, have achieved is you've made it rather less tenable for the government to carry on with the muddle on, muddling through on the grounds that... It's not just the people we all find quite irritating, the kind of private equity bosses with their carried interest who are at stake. It's also the various investors. And therefore, they should basically try to clarify the position to avoid the whole thing basically just sort of starting to come apart in any event. Because presumably, they'll leave if they, if they feel it's advantageous for them to do so. I think that the status quo will continue however unsatisfactory that might be because of the reasons that you just pointed out about the impact on other investors in private equity funds not least the ones that are actually quoted which sounds like a bit of an oxymoron but there are quite a few quoted private equity trusts and funds yeah there's absolutely quoted investment trusts in investing in private equity but the the status quo if I was advising them, it was absolutely not acceptable because they're running a risk that's technically difficult and outside their control of a serious tax problem on their investments. Something should be done. <laughs> I take a different view. I take a different view to Neil. Neil basically believes we shouldn't do anything because it's all 
everything's ruined anyway so why ruin it even more <laughs> i say this is a ridiculous <laughs> abuse and it should be stopped immediately oh, so yes. come on jeremy hunt or whoever it is <laughs> who's running the treasury get your act together <laughs> yeah and we know let's have a little clarity here we know just the man to advise the government on it <laughs> that was a long time in finance with jonathan ford and neil collins Production and editing by Nick Hilton and our sponsorship partner is Briefcase.News. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on your podcast app as that will help new listeners find us.